Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. This is Turning to Him. My name is Zach Batty, and I am here with Noel McBride. Noel, how are you doing? Good. It's Good. nice to be here. Hey, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, I didn't offend you so badly the yeah. first time that you decided to come back. Yeah. I feel like we had a great conversation. Yeah. Well, and hey, I also realized that this is our 50th episode. So oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Somewhat of a hallmark. So thanks for sharing that with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like, like we mentioned before, this is your second time on the show before we talked about just your great story of, um, kind of your initial divorce and all the things that you learned through that. Um, you wrote a book, uh, remind me of the name of your book, please. It's beauty for ashes, divorce and the Latter-day Saint woman. And, and I love the photo, the, the copy sorry, the cover of that book Yeah, where it's explain the cover of it, please. Sure. So it's, it's actually very symbolic to me. It is a picture of the uh, Provo city center temple, but a portion of it also shows the Provo city tabernacle burning. And that happened in 2015 and was very uh, symbolic to what I felt like had been the experience of going through my divorce. I felt that I had been a serviceable tabernacle to the Lord, that I had had a lot of years of um, good usage and uh, fulfilling callings and being a mother and all those different things, right? I had stored up wonderful memories and the experience of my divorce burned me to the ground. And then I had to rebuild um, by, from the foundation up. And I talk about this in my book, but it's really quite fascinating to read the history of how they rebuilt this temple because this, this building into a temple, I should say, because they actually had to dig out underneath the foundation and they waterproof the foundation and they went down like five stories. It's phenomenal. So, and then of course they rebuilt and it was even more beautiful than it had been in the past. And so that just came, became very symbolic to me and my, what I had felt like my experiences had been as I went through that divorce process and then came out on the other side. Yeah. I think that is so relatable to so many people um, where it, it feels like, and and you didn't say this, I'm saying this, but it feels like the Lord burned me down. Like I wasn't doing yes. anything wrong. I, right. I was, I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I was a serviceable tabernacle right? and I got burned down. Yes. How is that part of the plan? But then <laughs> of course, a year or two later, we have a temple now. Right. Right. Well, and actually that temple took five years to build. That was okay. not, uh, yeah. And which is ironically like the same kind of timeline as well for myself and how, you know, my life rebuilt in that way. And then they did the temple dedication, which was really fantastic. I had already done my book and everything. And then they did the temple um, dedication and the theme was beauty for ashes. So I was just like, okay, we're obviously <laughs> in sync. This is pretty awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I oftentimes joke with uh, people I have on the show that once they go through that initial trial and they climb out, everything's done. Everything is smooth sailing from here on out. Right. And of course they right. all laugh like you just did because that's yes. not how it works. No, no. Tell and us I the think, next chapter of your life. Yeah. 
Well, and I was going to say, I think that it's almost a false idea that of the adversary, um, that, that there's this concept of once I get to this place, then everything will fall into place and, and it will work together how it's exactly supposed to. And I think that that is more in line with what Satan's plan was more than ever Heavenly Father's plan. So uh, for my family and I, as I shared before in, in the first part of where we spoke, we're in a blended family. So my husband and I have raised our six teenagers together and that was uh, soul stretching <laughs> and uh, in in very good and hard ways. I felt like that first year of marriage, it was this constant delicate balance of getting to know my newlywed husband and building a relationship with him that was a marriage versus just a courtship. Mm-hmm. And also then integrating, you know, three children of his and three children of mine that all have very different ideas. And my children and I actually moved from Eastern Washington uh, over into the Pacific Northwest area, which is where I grew up, but it was still foreign to my children. And so that was a really big change. So that very first summer, we had five children that enrolled in new schools. So it was a big... And and as teenagers too. I mean, it's one thing to go to a new elementary school. That's tough. It's totally different to go to a new high school. Yeah. And we actually had one in elementary, two in middle school, and then three in high school. So yeah. The whole gamut. The whole gamut. We, We were doing it all. And also the community that we live in is very small and it's wonderful. Uh, And my husband's first wife was very well known in this area. She volunteered in a lot of things. She left a beautiful and wonderful, rich legacy. So I was uh, a curiosity maybe (laughs) because my husband, right, had lost his wife very unexpectedly. The community pulled together in wonderful ways and wanted to help and support this family. And then I came into the picture, which no one had planned for, including my husband or I, um, but the Lord had a different timing in mind. And so when we got married, um, it was, that was another, I wouldn't say challenge, but just um, brought some unexpected. I had to have a really, really thick skin. I'll give you a great example. I went and um, was checking in our two middle schoolers into their brand new school. And uh, I said, you know, my name and and said the kids' names. And the woman says, well, I know exactly who you are. (laughs) I was like, oh, well, it's really nice to meet you. (laughs) And I just shook her hand and pretended like, I'm just going to totally ignore any other undercurrent. Right, right. just, Just we're going all in. And so I had that experience several times. And I think some of the most heartwarming things later were, you know, because you have a Relief Society of Women too, who loved um, my husband's first wife and felt very, very close to her and also very close to her children. Like they were fortunate enough to have several other um, mom figures that stepped Mm -hmm. in and were able to help. And, and they all kind of stepped back and made room for me and also allowed me that space, right. To kind of stand on my own two feet and then, this was the feedback that I got back that was so heartwarming was that um, one of the sisters said, is it wrong that I love Noelle as much as I loved um, Doug's first wife? And um, yeah. And so, you know, there's, 
it was an interesting dynamic that way within the ward and um, just carving out my own space that sure. was different than um, her. Her name is Kimberly than Kimberly's. Okay. So, yeah. Now, what's the timeline between um, your husband's first wife passing and you two getting married? Just short of a year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so pretty new. Yes. Yes. Which is part of the, you know, yeah. here we go. <laughs> yeah. 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 But as I said, we were very intentional and very prayerful about it. And uh, as we look back now, the timing, we can see how uh, important that was for each of our children and for us. And so uh, it was hard. It was really, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done is to blend a family like that. So yeah, so, but it's been good. So what helped you? I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the last one, but what helped you go through that? What helped you blend that family? Uh, really good boundaries. Okay. <laughs> That's the, like the quickest, fastest. But I, I, I will say boundaries were a huge part of it for us. Um, my husband was very protective of me simply because he had teenage boys and they were very loyal to their mom. So... Mm -hmm. As I shared before, we really were respectful of roles. Like I didn't try to come in and replace their mom. And my husband did not come in and try to replace my children's father. Uh, we held those roles as those are those those belong to those parents. And I'm here as a friend and a help and a support to my spouse. And so my husband and I learned very quickly that our job as step parents was to support the other parent. So as I mentioned before, my husband was a little bit protective of me. So like he disciplined his boys. He didn't put me in a position to discipline his sons. And at first that was like, I was like, I can, I can do this. Right. I, right, I didn't right, quite right. understand that for them because they had been raised, you know, and uh, his oldest was turning 17 the year that we got married. So, and my oldest was, also turning 17. So you have older boys that have, you know, had a nuclear family for a while. And so for someone else to come in um, is a natural byproduct to be a little bit territorial. Sure. And so by my husband, you know, kind of removing me from that discipline chain, he and I would talk about things, of course, right? But then he would be the one that said, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and um, that really allowed um, me to then be free to develop a relationship with them. That wasn't, you know, me trying to develop a relationship plus discipline, plus I'm mm -hmm. filling some of these areas that you're missing, you know, as you don't have a mom here. And um, it was, it was a really interesting partnership that way. And I will say too, as we went along, I felt as though I had kind of entered a sacred partnership with um, my husband's first wife, Kimberly, I felt like we were co-parents. She was doing things mm. on her side of the veil that I could not do for my children. And I was doing things on this side of the veil that she could not do for her children. Because part of the um, reality of me moving was that my children had to travel back and forth frequently over a uh, mountain pass every other weekend to go see their dad. And that was very treacherous, um, especially in the winter time. And there wasn't any um, 
provisions if it was snowy or if it was icy or different things like that. And also my children were young. And so it was difficult to have them gone from me. So I felt like she was protecting and helping my children in ways that I couldn't. And I got to do the same for her. Wow. That's a really neat perspective that I've, I've never heard, but I really like co-parenting on both sides of the veil. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and she is, I, I wouldn't want anyone else on my side. Um, I feel like I know her through her children. Right. Yeah. And, um, and she is an incredible, ferocious mama bear that you would never want to know. I couldn't ask to have anyone better on my side. Yeah. I love that you and your husband come together and you devise a plan that is right for your new family. Yeah. And I'm sure that you had a lot of advice that you both asked and didn't ask for. I'm sure that everybody had some tips and tricks for you. Opinions, lots yeah. of opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that some of those were useful and some of those were well-meaning, but not useful for yeah. your situation. And I just, I think that's so valuable of, look, we bring in all the information that we that we can, but we are the ones that know our situation best. And so between you and your spouse and the Lord, you come together and you develop a plan and that's the plan that works for your family. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter what everybody else does. Uh, hopefully that works for their family, but right. they're not raising your family. You're raising your family. Exactly. Well, I think it's where personal revelation becomes so essential, right? Because then you're partnering with the Lord and it allows you to not have to listen to the noise that sometimes we bring in thinking it has to be this way because that's what it's always looked like. Right. Recognizing, well, what is our focus? Our focus is to bring our children to Christ. That's our focus and to help them to want to develop to the point where they want to have covenantal relationships with him because they can see how this blesses their lives. That's the most important thing. None of the rest of it really matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it would be completely different blending a family where the oldest is five years old, as opposed to blending a family when the oldest is 17 years old. It's exactly. a different game. It's a different it really strategy. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and as I shared before, we kind of did some unique things. We we told the kids from the very beginning that they didn't need to love one another, that they didn't even have to like each other. Yeah. They just needed to respect one another. And by us doing this, it opened the floodgates for this to naturally then happen on its own, which was really spectacular to watch. So about five years in, we had sent our oldest two off to college and they had come home for Christmas and they wanted to come home for Christmas. And we had, my boys were there for Christmas. And of course, um, Doug's younger children as well. And so we had all of us there. And I remember this moment, it was 2019 that my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, we watched them, they were opening gifts. And, uh, and that was, that was a unique thing too, that we really worked hard to do is we worked to create traditions for our blended family. So we pulled some traditions from my side and pulled some traditions from his side, and then we created our own. And so one of our traditions was around Christmas morning. And so the kids had each um, drawn names and picked out a gift for a sibling, right? And so that's what they wanted to open first was sibling gifts. And so we watched them and they were really thoughtful and um, our hearts were just filled to overflowing that here we had, 
done this almost experiment and we hadn't followed any rules except for just lots of prayer and lots of trusting in the Lord and how he was going to lead and direct us. And here we were, and they genuinely loved one another and wanted to spend time with each other. And um, we were becoming a family unit. So it was, it was a, a very tender and sweet moment for us as parents. My mom always called those paydays. Yeah. Payday. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, you mentioned briefly uh, covenants. Tell yes. me how the covenants that you had made have played a role through this process. Well, for my husband and I, going to the temple has always been a priority for both of us. And so we went individually when we were single. Uh, we actually went during our courtship as well. And then after um, we got married, we also went to the temple. So we were frequently in the temple, uh, just enjoying the peace that comes from the temple. And sometimes that was a really big respite <laughs> when we were wrangling, you know, uh, the kids. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was a very nice kind of date night to get out of the house and we're going to go to the temple. So that was really important to us. And I think for my husband and I, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, but just uh, our covenants are the foundation to everything, right? They allow us to have this deeper and richer relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our covenants are what, um, for me as a woman and as a mother who felt stretched, like I was given extra strength and um, knowledge of where to put my energy and my time. And also, uh, I had, you know, when, when you've gone through a divorce and I had a, a lot of luggage, um, a lot of baggage. I teased my husband that he got the Louis Vuitton size <laughs> luggage. It's yes. not small. <laughs> yes. This is not a carry on. No, it's not a carry on. And, um, you know, and then also there were things that I inherited, of course, with um, his family that had been struggles that they'd had. And so, I mean, we had to work through those different things, but I had a lot of different ideas about marriage and how I thought things worked. And so a lot of that first year I felt like was me really relearning what does it actually mean to um, be in a partnership and uh especially having the savior as the head of that partnership. Right. And then the two mm. of you working together and, um, and then the two of you going to the Lord and asking for that revelation and then receiving that revelation, discussing it, and then moving forward and helping that uh, it be enacted within your family. So it was a totally different way of, um, parenting, a totally different way of learning how to be a partner. And so my covenants for me were at the core of all of that. What are some of the things that stuck out to you, things that you had to relearn? Like what was different about a partnership in a marriage? Um, so uh, hmm. give me just one second here. Sure, sure. <laughs> that was it. That's a good question. I think a big part of it uh, previously is that I had been in a role of uh, 
micromanaging a lot. I, um, and I managed everything scripture study. If that happened, family home evening, if that happened, going to church, arranging to go to the temple, like all of those things, I fully was the person that was making those things happen. So when I became single, it wasn't that a whole lot had changed for me in a lot of Mm -hmm. that spiritual support. So marrying my husband, he was an equal partner in receiving revelation. And he was a grown man that was like, I've been doing this for many, many years. And I actually don't need you to manage me. I, I'm much more interested in having a partner. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was shocking in such a good way (laughs) for me. Uh, he's like, I don't need you to make my dental appointments. I don't need you to make my doctor appointments. I don't need you to schedule when I'm going to get a haircut. I am a grown man and I'll take care of those things for myself. Yes. And he says, you have six children, um, that we are, that you are working and managing and you don't, you don't need a seventh. And so (laughs) it was, it was really exciting on honestly, and liberating to think of it that way. Um, and then I would have a partner somebody that I could depend on and lean on and that wasn't requiring me to manage things for him. And he did. He does a great job managing things for himself, which is wonderful. Uh, okay. That's, that's really great. Um, do you all have family councils, family strategy meetings and conversations about, okay, how does this next week look? Yeah, actually we do almost every evening. So the dynamic in our household changed a lot. We had always done scripture study. We were reading the Book of Mormon as a family. And so in the evenings, we would just take 10, 15 minutes with the kids. We tried very hard to get all the kids there, which was tricky because we had, you know, I had a fifth grader, well, fourth grader. And then I also had um, up to a sophomore, junior. Mm -hmm. And so you have a wide range of ages and then also of activities. So we had sports a lot of evenings. So we would get together really quickly. We do, we'd read a couple verses around the circle. We'd have prayers. We talk about what the schedule was for the next day. And then we get to bed and do seminary and school and start it all over again. Sundays, we'd kind of talk more about like the whole week. Cause we had a little bit more time, but when president Nelson changed the, family um, dynamic to reducing our church time by an hour and then having us to be more home centered. Mm -hmm. My husband and I took that time, like, what are we going to do with this hour that we've just been given back? So we actually started studying uh, every evening for an hour and inviting the kids to participate in that. And it was a lot of not very happy (laughs) teenager. (laughs) rolling their eyes. And sure. so I, I did a lot of bribery. Uh, I was like, we have a really delicious dinner or dessert or something, you know, especially yeah. with five boys that were hungry, you know? <laughs> so I, I tried very hard to bribe. And then it was really fun because um, our third son in, he went away to college and they did a come follow me group. And he caught fire. He, he finally got, what is the big deal with this? This is so awesome. And it was just really fantastic. So then when he came home for the holidays, his participation and his interest level was just 
totally different. And uh, he was, he was like, this is the coolest thing. So our family still does come follow me every night. Um, and now it's usually 10, 15 minutes. And we just have mm-hmm. a discussion and we take turns, you know, cause our kids are old enough. Um, right now in our home, we have a senior. So my youngest is getting ready to graduate and he'll be 18 here shortly. And then we also have one more at home as our daughter. She's getting ready to serve a mission. And so she's working two jobs and yep. And our way of right now is helping support hers. I'm like, we're like work as much as you can and we'll take care of the rest and save, save, save. So, uh, so she's home with us. And so they actually take turns. Um, my husband and I each take a turn and then, um, our daughter and our son take a turn and they actually will lead the discussion. So they read the assignment ahead of time and then they will, take us through the scriptures, take us through the questions, share any insights. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth. So, you know, but it's now become part of the fabric of our family. Wow. Um, one of my favorite activities to do with my wife. So my oldest is 17. My youngest is seven. So okay. we're in that chapter. Yeah. Of life. Right. And one of the, one of my favorite activities that just recharges me is, you know, sometimes we'll go for a walk or sometimes the kids are in bed and we'll just talk and we'll just have a strategy meeting saying, okay, how is so-and-so doing? Okay. Here's what I think that they're wrestling with. Okay. What do we, what are we going to do? What do the next three months look for them? And, And as parents, how are we going to help shape that? Okay, good. Next one. What's this one looking on? And I just, I think there is no other person on this planet that I would rather strategize life with than my spouse. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you say having a partnership, I just think that is so uh, key. And I'm I'm so glad when people find that and have that. Yeah. Well, and you, you do something that my husband and I also do uh, that was part of us setting boundaries. We had a lot of hard things that we had to discuss. And we found that if we discussed them within our home and we wanted our home to be a sacred place, right? A refuge, as close to the temple as we possibly could have it be. But we had really hard issues. Uh, Unfortunately, my former spouse was very litigious. So um, over the last eight years, we probably have been to court 12 times, which Mm -hmm. is a lot. And so uh, we've had to discuss lots of legal things, right? And then there were things that came up with the kids that were difficult things. And so we started taking walks. We made the decision that we weren't going to talk about anything legal in our bedroom, that our bedroom was- Yeah, that our bedroom is like a sacred space that was just for him and I. Uh, And we also said no kids in the bed, which Mm -hmm. for some people would be like, oh, you're missing this. But with the varying ages of our kids and then blending a family and you've got, we just were like, we're just going to have a clean break and have no kids in beds in in our bed anyway. And so, and we have older kids. So that made a lot more sense, right? So our, our bedroom became like a, that was a designated sacred space. You had to be invited in. You, you did not have permission to come into the bedroom. And um, and then my husband and I made sure that when we had to take talk about really difficult circumstances, that we would go for a walk usually or take it out of the house, talk about it in the car. And we'd also put time limits on things like we're going to spend the next five minutes talking about this and then we're done. Yes, and yes. that was really helpful as well and just kind of... Um, designating uh time for us because otherwise those other things could they 
I think would have just crowded in and eaten us alive as a couple. Uh, yeah. So. And I think it, it, again, it just goes back to finding out what works for your spouse. Okay. Yeah. There's no having kids in the bedroom or out of the bedroom is not a right or wrong decision. It's right. a what works for you decision. And yes. I think, so that's fantastic. That yeah. works for you too. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, two things. Number one, what do you say to somebody? What do you say to me who is maybe where you were uh, many years ago? I've been keeping covenants my whole life. I've gone to the temple. Um, again, maybe, I, maybe I've been sealed. And the, the tabernacle burns down. I have nothing. And, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out with myself, why am I keeping the covenants then? What are the benefits of covenants to me? Because this relationship does not seem mutually beneficial to me right. at all with the Savior. What I don't know if you had that conversation with yourself ever, or oh, yeah. what would you do? Yeah, it's the very first thing I write about in my book because okay. it's such a huge pivotal thing. And and I actually have the privilege, I have a private Facebook group. So if there's people that are listening okay. that have been through divorce. It's for women specifically, but I have a private Facebook group that's uh, called Hope and Healing After Divorce. And mm -hmm. it really focuses on the hope and healing that we can find after divorce through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yes, that was absolutely, I mean, it, you, you're like, wait, I did all the things. Then how come I, I didn't have the outcome that I was expecting to have? And, uh, and why have I kept these covenants, right? That's, that's definitely one of the things that the adversary will jump right in and be like, you did all this stuff and you didn't even get what you wanted. Why are you even doing any of this hard stuff? You're not getting what you wanted. And I think that as we examine our covenants and what they can do for us, um, we develop a different perspective. So for me, that happened over a, a series of time. I felt after my divorce, very like I was on sand, uh, that everything, my foundation was really uh, very unsteady. If you'd asked me if I had a testimony in my Savior and in the Book of Mormon and the Prophet Joseph Smith, I would have told you very enthusiastically, yes. But then when everything changed in my life, I was like, wait, <laughs> I, I did all the things. And so, so now what? So I had to really evaluate my relationship with my savior and what I really believed in. And what I realized through this is that I had been focused, and I mentioned this before, I'd really been focused on what I was doing versus who I was becoming through the process. And so mm -hmm. as I shared before, I became a, a really ruthless editor of my life and went through and really cultivated and cut out things that weren't drawing me closer to my savior. And by doing that, what I realized is, is that my covenants uh, gave me this increase of power, this increase of strength, this increase of revelation that I could expect from the Lord that when I prayed, because I kept my covenants, then I could expect that the Lord would answer this prayer. That didn't mean that he was going to answer it the way that I wanted, but as I left myself open to um, aligning my will with the Lord, then he would reveal his hand. And it was this amazing partnership while I was single, because it got to the point where I felt like I could pray for anything and the Lord would give it to me. Hmm. And 
that happened time and time and time again. Uh, the house that we ended ended up renting was an example of that. I had prayed for you know a nice house that that I had some specifics that I needed. You know, like three bedrooms. I'd like two bathrooms. I'd never had my own bathroom, and so to share with three boys. So just just like little tiny things, right? That you wouldn't think that would matter, but for a single mom, actually, sure. they mattered a lot. And um, and then then this was what was just so um, humbling and beautiful about it is that I would ask for something and the Lord would say, um, I'm going to give you that plus more. So you have done so well with keeping your covenants and being so faithful that here, I'm going to pour out all these more blessings, which then of course increased my gratitude, right? And my willingness to want to be obedient to the Lord, like in every possible way that I could. And so then the Lord would be able to bless me even more. And so it was just this constant cycle where my mom, you know, she was like, honey, be careful what you pray for because you're getting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was wonderful. And um, even with meeting my husband and there were specifics that I had asked for, uh, I didn't ever think that I was going to remarry. I got to be very happy being by myself. So my husband was a happy surprise for me. That um, that was another one of those things that the Lord was like, I have more growth for you and it's going to happen in a partnership with a spouse. Yeah. And, um, and so I had written out exactly, there were five main things that I really, really wanted. And because of the experiences that I had been through in my divorce, my a uh, counselor encouraged me to write out these things, but then to write how that would show up. Like how, how would I know that this person is dedicated to the savior because of these different actions, right? So he tied that. So then that helped me to hone in on looking at not just what people were saying, but what they were actually doing mm-hmm. um, as part of their actions. Cause people can say lots and lots of great sure. things. Sure. <laughs> so uh, and it was amazing for me uh, because I tucked that letter away just as part of an assignment. I actually put it in a journal and it was, I had moved on to a different journal and it wasn't until I was probably a year and a half in for my marriage. And I was like, Oh, I forgot about that letter. I wonder where that's at. And I pulled it out. I found it. I went back through, I found it. And my husband was every single one of those things, which wow. was phenomenal to me. And I, I knew that that was a result of my heavenly father hearing my prayers, keeping my covenants and my willingness to be obedient in, in every possible way so that I could have every blessing available to me. Hmm. I hope that one day my wife describes me as a happy surprise. (laughs) That's nice. It's a happy surprise. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So you are about two years away from potentially being an empty nester. Yes. Yes. What's next for you and your husband? Well, we like to call it a bird. We're, we're bird launchers, not okay. empty nesters. Not right? empty nesters. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll, 
this is what I've learned um, as far as like this stage. You're not really an empty nester because they keep coming back, right? Yeah. So we've got one here that will be getting ready for mission. And then I have another one that will probably be here after this. He's at BYUI right now finishing up a semester. So one will leave for, and then we'll have another one come home and then we'll have another graduate and then we'll have another leave. I mean, so they yes. just kind of, kind of come in and out for this, this season, which I actually have really enjoyed. Uh, I am enjoying getting to know our kids as they become adults and um, watching them and helping them navigate and, and um, to learn through their failures. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um Things that are next, I am actually working on a second book right now. Um, okay. Yeah, it's called Blended Hearts to Become Eight. And it's the story of my husband and I and our blended family. And so I I plan to write. I am an interior designer by profession. That's what I went to school for. So I'll probably continue to do more interior design work. And I did inform my husband that I was going to learn how to, uh, I'm a really good cook. I'm not a great baker. So I told him, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to master breads. Once the household's empty, be prepared to eat a lot of homemade bread. (laughs) I have suddenly gotten very self-conscious about my background now, knowing that you're an interior designer. I'm thinking, oh, is that picture level? Is that uh, different (laughs) picture frames in there? That's horrible. (laughs) Um, Okay. So with these, with these older kids coming in and out of the house and, and just being an older chapter in life, what what do you picture your role as a parent is now? Because you're not changing diapers. You're not fixing school lunches. Um, mm-hmm. But parenting is eternal. So how are you helping your kid? And you mentioned that one of your goals is to help these kids um, have a desire to stay on the covenant path, to make and keep covenants. Right, right. For and you, what have, does that look like? Yeah. And we have children who have chosen not to stay on the mm-hmm. covenantal path. So, uh, and before I get into that, I'll, I'll share just a little bit of background. And I share this just briefly with you, Zach. And uh, in the story that I share in December of 2019, right, where we had this beautiful Christmas, it was just after that Christmas that we we had some um, serious things that rocked our family's uh, world and kind of foundation. Um, I had my oldest son inform me that he was leaving the church. And that was super shocking to me because he'd always had a really strong testimony in the gospel. Um, but for him, he really wanted to uh, explore a different lifestyle. And he just felt like the church was not congruent with that. Mm-hmm. And that was heartbreaking for me. And so while I was working through that, and how how do I still have this relationship? And because I had grown up with the belief that if your children got married in the temple, and went on missions, then that meant that you were a successful parent. Right, right. And you were a good person. That's right, that you did a great job. And when your children aren't doing that, then what does that mean for you as a parent? Mm -hmm. And, um, And wanting to help my children as they you know, navigate, of course, we want our children to make choices that are going to bring them happiness, right? And for me, the greatest happiness and peace that I have found is with my Savior, Jesus Christ, and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where I have found the greatest peace, the greatest happiness, the greatest joy. And so, of course, I want my children to have all of that. 
But when they don't want the most precious thing that you can offer them, it is really hard. So it was a lot of soul searching for me and just time on my knees. And there was a really poignant moment that I was just was like, Heavenly Father, I want to spare my son all these difficulties that I see that he is heading into, right? Because that's part of the uh, advantage of age, as you can see down the road a little bit, right? And my son wasn't heeding anything that I was saying, right? Like it was like shouting into the wind. And it was like the spirit taught me in a moment that uh, I kind of had my own life a little bit reviewed for me and the own my own mistakes and my own experiences that I had been through. And it was like, I could see the lessons that had come out of that and the growth that had come out of that. And the question then was posed to me, would I rob my son of the experiences and the lessons that he will learn by the choices that he's going to make using his agency. And I just, I wept because I was like, okay, I would not change the experiences that I have had, but that feels like such a high price. Um, So I learned in that time while I was really praying that the most important thing that I could do was honor his agency and to love him. And that was all that the Lord was requiring of me at this point, that I had done everything else that he'd asked me to do. I had taught my son about the Savior, Jesus Christ. I had given him that first foundation, and now he had his agency to be able to choose for himself. And that the most loving and kind thing that I could do was honor his agency. Which is exactly what the Father does for us. Yes. Yes. This is why it's called celestial parenting, right? Yeah, yeah. Next level parenting. Yeah. And certainly, um, like you said, there there is an important step of step one is that I teach you the gospel. Yes. And that we get you set up and, and pointed in the right direction. But yeah, I mean, if if the measure of whether or not you were a good parent or a good disciple or a faith-filled person was that 100% of your children chose to remain on the covenant path, then uh, Adam and see. Eve would be out of luck. Exactly. I'm trying, I'm <laughs> trying to back off of that because I certainly do not want to sound flippant or disrespectful, but the number of heavenly father's children who That's is right. the perfect parent who yes. have chosen not to stay on the path. Clearly right. that cannot be the measuring stick. That's, that's not that's the measuring right. stick. Yeah. So the measuring so, stick. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, that's exactly right. I, I had to throw out this old measuring stick. I still feel like I'm I'm gathering pieces of what does this new measuring stick look like? And and really it is it is a personal relationship with my savior, right? And my heavenly father and my heavenly parents. And and am I doing what they want me to do? Mm-hmm. And if I feel like the answer is yes, then I can move forward in faith. But it is different. It, it's very different than what I originally thought. So and while I was wrapping my brain around all of this and and working through the emotion of feeling like I was kind of failing as a parent and and um, just struggling, we we got word that um, our son, who was a student at BYU, had unexpectedly committed suicide. And it's been three years, and we're still working through the emotions of that uh, decision, but that just totally rocked our world. And uh, of course you 
have no kind of notice of these things. It wasn't anything that we had any inkling of. And uh, he was, um, he was sunshine. He was kind of the, he, he had a unique role in our family because he related to my husband's children and he related to my children and he brought everybody together and he was happy and uh, just always was the person that pulled someone else in who didn't feel like they belonged and he was just flourishing at BYU, uh, but he was also battling a really severe depression that he never shared with anyone because he didn't want to be a burden. Mm-hmm. And um, so that uh, just turned our whole entire worlds upside down. And uh, just as we were starting to like take a breath from it, COVID hit. And mm-hmm. so the whole world shut down which actually ended up just being such a tender blessing for our family because it meant that we got this um, time to really um, circle about one another and really focus on healing uh, within our home. And we actually had all of our children home except for my oldest. And so uh, that was just this really uh, tender and unexpected time uh, that we got to work through this process of trying to heal from uh, just the worst nightmare that any parent could ever have. Yeah. What, what is step one of that process? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, I, I'm assuming that you get the phone call, you hang up the phone. What's step one? Well, in our situation, my uh, my husband is the one that got the phone call. He was actually on his way to go pick up my sons from um, Ellensburg after they had been a weekend with their dad. So he was crossing a really treacherous mountain pass. Um, mm-hmm. So he arrived knowing that information and picked them up and did not share it and mm-hmm. drove home. I don't know how he did that, except for that there were angels um, that must have attended him. And, you know, every family has to decide how they're going to uh, share that information and how they're going to work through that. For us, just knowing the different personalities of our children, we really were very prayerful and thoughtful um, and intentional about how we chose to go about doing it. We actually made the decision because it was later at night to uh, wait until the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. it, the news wasn't breaking and we wanted to give our children, you know, one more, one more day of normalcy. Yeah. So um, we also had to go through a process of sharing that information like I said, we we had two two children that were not living in the household at the time, and then we had three of our other kids that were home, and all of them took it very differently. And um, and then we, my husband actually flew out to let his um, one of our other sons know that was at college. So I mean, it was just it, you in the first twenty four hours. It was just a lot of uh, thoughtfulness in how can we go about sharing this information and taking care of immediate needs. And, um, and there was a lot of grieving, right? So um, 
but also we felt very sustained. Um, there were just some really tender miracles. We had had family pictures taken just a couple of weeks before. Uh, and I had had to like force everyone, like bribe them. I'm like, we will go out to a really nice restaurant and they, of course, like picked a, a banquet place that had perpetual food, right? Yes, <laughs> With five yes. boys. And so, although our daughter, I think, ate as much as the boys. So I don't know why I say <laughs> With six kids. So yeah. we had these great, great family pictures. And I called up my friend that had taken them. And I said, can we can we get these? Because we they had been so new, we hadn't even had them taken. But they had just been taken. And so... Um, it, they were just beautiful. It was just perfect that we had been kind of given this gift. Um, and so it was, uh, we had miracle after miracle after miracle happen um, as we processed and went through. But uh, you asked the question, like, what's next? Well, the next step is the most needful thing. This mm. became a mantra in my husband's and my home is, um, that because it is absolutely overwhelming to plan a funeral when you know that the person is passing away and um, you have been prepared for it. It's still very overwhelming when you have not had a chance to prepare. It is incapacitating. And the level of grief that we felt was definitely incapacitating. So uh, we just focused on the next most needful thing. And so what did that look like? And we would just say, okay, what's the next most needful thing? What's that decision that has to be made? And we'd make that decision. And that would be the only thing that we would do that day. And then we would make the next most needful thing and the next most needful thing. And then we would just get through one step at a time, one step at a time. And um, we thankfully lived in, we live in a community where we had tons of help and support in an amazing ward and um, so much love and care was given to our family just to help us through the whole process. So, um, and it is amazing. We were three years out. We're, we still are working through lots of things. We've learned lots of lessons. I'll share my most poignant lesson that I've learned from it. Um, but I also, we take great joy in seeing the ripple effects that our son's life had in others lives um you know we had a friend who came and visited us last summer and we were catching up about her daughter and her daughter was near our son's age and she says you know she changed her major because of ben yeah. and i was like no i i didn't know that and she's like yeah it was really important for her and i i've heard more and more stories like that as the time has gone on i think that people have felt more comfortable sharing those things with us um, not being in the initial throes mm -hmm. of grieving, but um, we love to hear that he is remembered and um, and honored and that he um, impacted so many people for good. Um, so in spite of how short his life was and the circumstances surrounding his um, death, it's um, it's been a a beautiful gift to see the impact that he has made in others' lives and continues to make. I was just going to say that and continues to make because surely if you feel that you are co-parenting with your husband's first wife, then I don't know what the term is, but there is a co-sibling yeah. with 
<laughs> with your family still on both sides of the veil. Yep, absolutely. And I, I, we feel very strongly that, you know, his part of his work is getting to um, be a ministering angel to our family. Sure. Right. And so um, we're, we're very, very blessed in that way that we have um, two ministering angels in his mother and in him. So, yes. yeah. That that's uh, a very intimate story. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, that cannot be easy. Um, no. Tell me how that changes now your perception of the covenants going back to your, to the covenants. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think for when this happened, there was a moment and actually I don't even think I know the, of the exact moment uh, where it shifted from you believe the things that you have learned in the gospel and you have faith in them to they become a sure knowledge, right? It's it's no longer I have faith in the resurrection, but I have a knowledge of the resurrection. Not and it's hard to it's hard to put words into how I feel, uh, uh, but it's not just a faith in it. It's, um, it's everything. Yes. Yes. It's everything. I, th- um, I think Alma talks about that, right? Your faith becomes dormant because you have a yeah. knowledge of that thing. Right. Right. And so, uh, it has just grown exponentially. And, uh, one of the things that has been an interesting byproduct is when you, when you lose someone that you love and I, I didn't mention this before, but just 18 months after we lost our son, my mom passed away unexpectedly. So just as I was coming up from air, <laughs> I lost my mom and my dad was very ill. My family and I had to move him across the country. It was very difficult. So I, I felt like for just three years, I was in this uh, crucible, um, a refiner's fire. Yeah. I thought that my divorce had been hard (laughs) and I was like, Oh, that was just the precursor. (laughs) That was laying the foundation for what was coming. Just getting warmed up here. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, um, there's been a change in my covenants, right? Um, my, I rely on my covenants in a new way that they are what allow me to have hope to have peace and to be able to experience joy. That's one of the blessings of um, having a covenantal relationship is we can have joy amidst sorrow. And this is the beautiful thing that has happened is, is that when you experience really, really deep sorrow, it carves out spaces within your heart that weren't there before. And then the Lord, as we turn to him, he rushes in with a healing balm, right? The balm of Gilead. And as the master healer, right? Like he comes in and he, he fills those, those parts where you can experience joy in equal measure to the sorrow and the grief that you had, where you couldn't have that without having experienced the sorrow and the grief. So well, I would never ever wish this experience on anyone. I am so grateful 
for my Heavenly Father and the plan of happiness that allows something that is so difficult to be turned to work in such beautiful ways in my life. Wow. That's profound. Um, Noel, again, thank you for, for sharing that. As we close, is there anything else on your mind, anything else that you want to communicate to us? I would say that we cannot fathom the depth of our Heavenly Father, uh, I should say our Heavenly Parent's love for us and our Savior's love. And that if you are missing loved ones, that it's just a separation for a short time. That's the other thing. The veil has become much more thin to me. It used to feel like a whole different room. And now it just feels like a a gossamer curtain, right? Yes. And and it's just a separation for a short time. It's not permanent. And how grateful I am to have that knowledge, you know, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through him being crucified and resurrected, that no um, death has to be permanent that it's just for a a period of time, a short period of time, and then we get to be with our loved ones again. 